The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is made possible by generous individual listeners who donate to the show. Thank you. You can keep the show going, too, by donating to my independent studio at www.patreon.com slash Pios Labs. It's March 27th, 2017, and I'm your host, Pius Wong, for the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. The South by Southwest Education Conference in Austin, Texas has ended, but its emotional tone still lingers on. In this episode, I try to go beyond products and programs as I cover some of the urgent voices calling for fairness, equity, and justice in education today. For engineering education in K-12, what does justice look like? South by Southwest opened this year with a fiery keynote address by Dr. Christopher Emden, Associate Professor in Mathematics, Science, and Technology at Teachers College Columbia University in New York City. He's also author of a best-selling book on pedagogy in urban education. Good morning, everybody. That morning, Dr. Emden spoke in front of hundreds of South by attendees in a main lecture hall. Early in his speech, he made clear he was addressing three groups of people in the conference. His friends, his enemies, and his frenemies. I want to speak to our friends, my friends. And my friends are those folks who understand the idea that education is essentially the civil rights issue of our time, that we cannot have conversations about education without talking about equity and diversity. Um, that we can't. Then Dr. Emden defined his enemies. I want to talk to the enemies. <laughs> and we got to be clear that we have some folks in the building who are enemies. And not enemies because they're inherently bad people, but they're enemies because they come to this conversation at South by Southwest EDU because it's a time for them to be able to pitch their new product or make social connections with folks in certain spaces or talk about their new tech initiative or tech uh, company they're trying to build up or pitch stuff to schools and curriculum. And I'm just saying to you that if that's your sole intention of coming to a gathering of educators, in many ways, I'm going to have to position you early on as not being exactly where I'm at. So you're sort of the enemy. (laughs) So who were his frenemies? And these are the folks I want to talk to in particular today, right? which are the folks who actually come to this work with amazing intentions, who really believe in what we said the friends believe in, but by virtue of being a part of systems and institutions and structures that do not value certain populations, they end up being enemies despite the fact that their intentions are good. Yes, these were broad labels for effect, but it got his point across. And that was just the start. For the remainder of the hour, Dr. Emden expressed utter frustration with how the U.S. treats kids on the margin, such as black and brown kids in our segregated urban schools. Audience members all over the room cheered along with much of what he said. And trauma is living in the, in the, in the full bodies of the young folks who are most marginalized in schools today. Whether it's urban schools or rural schools, folks who've been pushed to the margins are undergoing severe trauma. Right now, we got PTSDs going on everywhere, undiagnosed and need to be treated. And they're a function of folks being adjusted when they need to be maladjusted. A, a President Trump stress disorder is a real phenomenon. There are folks in urban spaces, there are folks in urban spaces who, who see themselves being 
killed spiritually under the guise of a person who's going to make America great again. And the notion of America being great again is circling back to a history of education where they, know they never have a voice. Y'all with me? In addition to explaining his frustration, Emden also urged dramatic solutions, such as embracing the cultures and passions of kids being taught, not extracting them out of the classroom. These clips you've heard only tell a tiny part of his message, and you can find Emden's full speech on video at the South by Southwest website. Although not everyone gave him a standing ovation by the end, most people in the room did. I asked a woman sitting next to me what she thought about the speech she just heard. Because it's so true, because um, I came from a segregated school in Louisiana when my dad was in the military. So I started to school in Germany. It was, well, there were two African-American kids in my class. And then we moved to Louisiana and it was segregated. And then I moved to San Antonio and it was still segregated. But somewhere in between, it became integrated. So I understand what he's saying totally and I totally agree. And I just think, you know, we do have to reach our young people where they're at, like really listen to them and hear what they're saying. It may be hard for us to hear what they're saying in the language that they're bringing it to us, but we still have to listen. Many rows back, another audience member was sitting alone in her chair, contemplating, as people were filing out of the room. I asked her what her reaction was. She said, at first, she was taken aback, wondering if Emden was unfairly attacking her, a white teacher working in an urban school for decades, But she explained that by the end of the speech, she was totally on board and completely convinced of what he was saying. Another teacher outside the hall was already starting to think of how to apply these ideas to her classroom. I'm teaching in a traditional STEM high school, and there's all sorts of questions that I have with our population that's already diverse, but wondering about the application of that to other groups and how we can also emulate some kind of changes and make sure that we're letting educators and students be the people that are making the changes and not somebody else. Non-teachers in the educational technology industry were also there, and those I spoke to were just as wowed and motivated by the talk as any of the teachers. I couldn't find any opponents to what Dr. Emden had said. Throughout the next days, Other speakers at different sessions and workshops kept referencing Emden's talk. He clearly struck a chord. The strange part was that after his speech, this was still South by Southwest. Education company representatives hawking products were nearly everywhere, also sponsoring parties and meetups, and they arguably could be Emden's so-called frenemies, if not outright enemies, depending on their goals. Were they only here to make money? Do they neglect to champion education as a civil right for all kids? I even had to ask myself, as someone creating an education business, am I an enemy? And maybe this was the goal, to provoke everyone in this education world to reevaluate what they're really doing here. Four college students ran their own panel at South by Southwest, confirming some of Emden's themes. Andrew Brennan, 
Zakir Tamiz, Ben Gerwitz, and Amanda Wallstedt all were in high school not too long ago. They argued in their panel that inequity is a huge but solvable problem in the school systems they came from, and they wanted people to listen to and value students' voices and ideas more to solve this problem. For example, here's Ben. My story starts in third grade, and as Andrew mentioned, it is comprised of severe learning disabilities, things like dysgraphia, dyslexia, and slow processing disorder. And what I found in third grade is that the system that, that I was in, it didn't work for me. Um, I was falling behind in anything, everything. I felt incredibly ostracized, not only by my friends, but my teachers. Um, and I literally felt that I wasn't learning. I Ben explained how he had to switch to a specialized school, which helped him work through his learning differences and disability. The moral of the story is that if you learn differently, you have to learn how to learn differently. You have to do things in a different method if the prescribed method did not work. Um, and these years were tremendously beneficial for me, and partly because I could see people like me succeeded. Um, I had an incredible network of mentors and people who wanted me to succeed. Later, Ben explained that he had these opportunities because his family was privileged with resources that many other families don't have. Amanda gave her story over video from an airport, echoing similar themes. So, I grew up in Kentucky, rural southeastern Kentucky. I grew up in an abusive household with just my father, and I ended up where I am right now because of a series of incredible adults. Um, I I can't stress the importance of um, the network of mentors and advisors and just people that I've had that... um, They got me to where I am. Um, But Amanda made clear that she faced and is facing many challenges, including cultural barriers and poor preparation in science and math compared to her college peers, due to coming from what she called a low-achieving public school. Texas student Zakir talked about how he has been pushing for political solutions, trying to promote more funding for Texas public schools to help ease these inequities. Right now, he's also promoting changes in Texas law to require student input before school districts can make curriculum changes. This is in addition to input from teachers and parents. The Texas State House and Senate have both introduced bipartisan bills for this, but whether or not they pass them remains to be seen. When it came to engineering education, the ideas of equity, diversity, mentorship, and valuing students' perspectives still came up again and again, even at the more casual nighttime events. Mr. Zelensky, I'm a Negro woman. I'm not going to entertain the impossible. And I'm a Polish Jew whose parents died in a Nazi prison camp. Now I'm standing beneath a spaceship that's going to carry an astronaut to the stars. Let me ask you. If you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? 
I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. The nighttime showing of the film Hidden Figures at the Paramount Theater was completely packed, and at the Q&A panel afterward, one guest easily got the biggest applauses. Hi, good evening. I'm Dr. Camille Elaine, and I am the Associate Program Scientist for the International Space Station at NASA Johnson Space Center. Besides working on technical NASA projects, Dr. Elaine also works to inspire kids in science, technology, engineering, and math, especially girls and girls of color. The movie fell right in line with that goal. Um, for me, the, there's so many lessons. I mean, I've seen it like five times already. Um, there's so many lessons. I couldn't do what I've been able to do for the last 21 years without the trail these women blazed for people like me. So I am clear that I stand on the shoulders of giants. Every day of South by Southwest EDU, numerous sessions took place on how to teach and spread computer science or CS education better, since it relates to economic and social disparities. One session, sponsored by Oracle Academy, brought together different leaders in CS education to discuss the issue, including a principal, a school designer, and a university program director. Among their many points, they said that teaching CS concepts and logic is better than teaching any specific language, that we need to find ways to ensure CS isn't boring our kids, and that good CS teachers are absolutely key. The audience reaction was positive. For example, here's Ken. I'm in the tech industry, and a lot of the computer science education, yes, coding skills doesn't quite cut it. Uh, just plain teaching somebody Java doesn't make them a good computer scientist or engineer. So the recognition of that in the schooling system and the recognition of the challenge uh, and having industry partners like Oracle being part of uh, trying to find that solution and not just being like, hey, use Oracle products. No, it's, it's a more holistic view is very encouraging to see. Another woman watching the panel liked their points about CS pedagogy. I think the two things that stood out most for me were the idea that um, schools and educators may want to think a little bit more about being comfortable with breaking things or allowing, allowing their students to break things. Um, I think it's a great learning tool, especially for CS. And then the other piece is the lack of computer science community for teachers. Um, they're, of course, online makes this easier, but the person-to-person -person communication and sharing of ideas and sort of experimentation, I think, uh, is a great thing to promote. I got to ask the panelists afterward for their ideas on the issue of CS teachers, specifically the lack of CS teachers, both in numbers and diversity. Principal Linda Clyatt Wayman wants to find the potential CS experts and CS teachers early on. What I really believe it begins in high school, and we have to identify young people who are uncertain about what field they want to go into based on their academic potential at the current moment. For example, I know this is an honor student. I've looked in his file. He is an honor student. He's mentally gifted. He's unsure really what he wants to do. How do we expose him to something new? to show him that it's a possibility this could be a field for him, and then channel that energy into trying to get him to get into that field. 
panelist Dr. Carol Fletcher from the University of Texas Center for STEM Education says computer scientists and engineers should be exposed to teaching opportunities. It's just like how do we get kids into computer science? If they've never done computer science, they have no idea they want to. How do we get computer scientists to want to be teachers? We have to give them opportunities to, to uh, actually do that kind of exp- uh, teaching and things like that. Ted Fujimoto from Landmark Consulting Group agreed, saying that mentorship opportunities can attract industry professionals to teaching. He also is a strong proponent of CS teachers not having to know everything about CS. So that's where you know, I boil down to is like, what, what is the role of the teacher in the first place? And how specialized should they get? Should they be the expert programmer in X? It, because the reality is, if they know one thing, there's a hundred other things that they don't know I'm, I'm working on a number of projects, and we're using dozens of technologies coming together, right? And you're hiring specialists for those things. So for a teacher to try to say, I know something about the world that's coming up, and I'm going to teach you about it, that's a losing battle from just the get-go. So I think part of it is changing the profession, the thinking of the profession of what is the role of teacher? How do you create, as a teacher, the safe space and time to... Uh, to solve real amazing problems that uh, students can get into. Maybe this puts less pressure on potential CS teachers, and they might be more willing to make the jump into the classroom. My name is Allison Derbenwick-Miller. I'm vice president of Oracle Academy. Oracle Academy is Oracle's flagship philanthropic program in education, and we support computer science education around the world. Miller was one of the organizers of the panel, and I asked her how to get a greater diversity of CS teachers She says the issue runs much deeper. I think we actually need to promote diversity in teachers universally. I don't think it's a terribly diverse population to start with. Um, And I think that gets increasingly complex as you start going into specialty fields where industry salaries are way better than teacher salaries. So I think a key part of it is the professionalization of teaching and the respect for teaching as a professional field, first of all. Um, And then I think we really do need to provide bridges between industry and education so that we're working with teacher prep programs so that all the teachers are getting exposed to computing and engineering as part of their teacher prep and can just use this as a tool in their teaching and are comfortable with it. I then asked her, what do tech industry professionals, such as those at Oracle, think about CS education initiatives? For example, what do they think about the new advanced placement curriculum for computer science principals? So I think, um, I do think there is good support for APCNS principals. That is a well-researched uh, curriculum and course and exam that really has been specifically designed to be broadly appealing. It's a good broad survey class. Um, I think, though, if you were to ask in industry what people think about how we engage kids effectively, it really is going to come down to contextualization of the content for the students in the space that they're in. Meet them where they are rather than trying to lift them to somewhere they're not comfortable being. Um, and I think the tools are going to be really different for every every class and every school. And I think that's one of the challenges in sort of codifying some kind of computer science education curriculum. We did, um, we did a video several years ago where I talked to our executives in development about if you were to give advice to students about what they need to learn to be successful in computing, 
universally the answer was learn how to learn and be curious about learning. You can manage to learn any coding language you need to learn. You can learn logic if you know how to learn and you're intellectually curious. So, and I think that's the hardest thing to teach, right? So. The talk at South by Southwest made it clear that broadening access to CS and engineering is only the beginning. One statement that summarized the issue came from Dave McClure, a global venture capitalist based in Silicon Valley. I'm not going to say an exact quote because he used a lot more F-bombs, but basically, in a panel hosted by him, he said, I don't want my daughter just to learn to code. I want her to run the friggin' company. He, along with several others at the conference, warned against merely training more workers to do what a boss says in a corporation. He wanted diversity in the leadership, too. Despite all these warnings, there were palpable stories of hope, too, regarding the broadening of both education and leadership in CS and engineering. Entrepreneurs in education technology spoke in their own diverse panels and sessions, and they agreed with educators on many points. Business and education leaders both want more diversity in CS and engineering. They both want more proficiency in CS across the board. New entrepreneurs and new teachers both tend to have crazy work-life balance and need more support. There may be more common ground among educators and business people in CS and engineering than I had once thought. One especially hopeful featured talk was by Laura Weidman Powers, the CEO of Code2040. And Code2040 is a Silicon Valley-based organization that, broadly speaking, is trying to end structural racism in tech. Among other things, they match talented black and Latina or Latino CS students with tech companies in need of that talent, and they also support diverse entrepreneurs to form their own tech-related businesses. About a year ago, we started to debate a really key question, which was, is tech the means or is tech the end goal? Do we work with communities of color, with Black and Latinx communities, in order to diversify tech? Or do we work with tech in order to impact Black and Latinx communities and communities of color more broadly? You can watch Power's full talk online. On Saturday night of the main South by Southwest Festival, I visited a downtown Austin high-rise to see the Code 2040 party, also sponsored by Google for Entrepreneurs. Beats were pounding from the funk cover band, coders and entrepreneurs were swaying to the music, and, of course, business cards were passing back and forth. There were faces of all colors, all ages, men and women. One software developer there told me this Code2040 party was easily more diverse than any similar tech networking event back in Silicon Valley. Could you imagine? The diversity of people in that room could be the faces of future tech celebrities and future role models for countless kids. After a couple days of South by EDU, as the festival wound down, 
I managed to talk to two teachers about what they were really thinking after all the sessions, meetings, and events. I spoke to them on the second floor bar overlooking 6th Street as a jazz band jammed around us. What is the number one thing that you learned so far here at South by Southwest at this particular conference? I learned how to talk to my students that are um, that are of different ethnicities about the fact that they don't want to feed into their own stereotypes. I went to a session about personalized learning in project-based learning units and I just learned a lot about how to structure a project-based learning unit to allow for more student choice and personalization within project-based learning. So I guess I have a I have a question. It's just what is the thing that pushed your thinking the most this South by Southwest EDU? Definitely, definitely Chris Emden's talk. Because it just it actually became more of a, a ruminating point. It's not like the thought is done. I'm just still thinking about it. Exactly. And, and it's not just you. I've spoken to other people about it, and the it keeps getting referenced. Like in the last session that I went to, it got referenced. And, um, yeah, just multiple people. People will talk about it off the record, on the record. They're thinking about it. And everyone I've spoken to so far says he's right. I have not met the person to disagree yet. And not that it's wrong to disagree or to have nuance about it, but... Um, it means that, yeah, he's hit on something that we got to focus on. So, so, yeah, I agree. Like, for me, that was the session that so pushed my thinking the most. It was kind of incredible. That was the first one of the, the entire conference because it kind of made me think about everything in a different lens. And it made me be more vocal when I heard uh, when I heard some things that made me question. I actually would start speaking up more about it. So it was a, a really cool experience and something that I'm still thinking about. Here's my question. Do you think that if Chris Emden, like the fact that he spoke, you know, on the first day, and that we had other sessions to go to and other sessions to think about, and the fact that we were outside of our classrooms, do you think it made more of an impact than it would if he came and just did a staff development talk? On the final morning of South by Southwest EDU, I listened to a presentation by two educational technology entrepreneurs who also were former teachers, so they've seen both the education and business worlds from the inside. They talked about the importance of equity and inclusion in educational technology to make sure all kids and communities can be served. Following their talk, I had a brief but enlightening interview with them, which is presented here in full to close out this episode. Okay, so my name is Michelle Chang. I'm the founder and CEO of Literator out of Oakland, California. Um, And I was a teacher before I was a founder. And for that reason, I'm coming with the lens of, you know, like needing more equity inclusion at the forefront of the conversation around what's happening in EdTech. And so wanted to facilitate a conversation at, you know, a huge EdTech conference with educators about how we can be better about that. 
Um, and I'm Aditya Valetti. I uh, am director of community and partnerships at the Lean Lab, and we are a startup incubator in Kansas City. And uh, a lot of the work that we do is very, very community-based and very, very equity-focused. So we really try and source entrepreneurs from the communities that send or work in um, or or students in uh, the public school system, especially in very... Uh, underserved zip codes and uh, I really just wanted to have a conversation about what it's like to just have diversity of founders um, in the ed tech space and also just to make products that actually really don't replace the teacher but really make it more about facilitating um, facilitating teaching and having it as a regular tool yeah it's really interesting, and I, I liked how you were talking about diversity both at the founder level, but also at the people you're serving, it mm-hmm. sounded like. Um, so there are a lot of teachers, including, I think, Professor Chris Emden at the opening, uh, who can be skeptical of EdTech, yeah. probably because EdTech has not always been famous for equitably serving people. Mm-hmm. How did you respond to Professor Emden's opening, if you have a response? Um, so I was actually really grateful to Professor Emden for framing this conference in that way. Um, I think that honestly, just as with anything else, if equity is not a core value of what you're doing, then whatever you're doing just won't be equitable. Like the forces of society are such that inequity is the is the norm rather than equity. And so I really liked that um, he framed it that way. I mean, equity is one of our core values. And if it's not, I mean, you know, even when we work with entrepreneurs and support them in creating solutions, we really say, well, are you taking the current system and just making it more efficient using technology, like taking tests that are already biased and then just making it easier to administer them and then grade them? Or are you really changing it so that the systems that are currently inequitable are actually being transformed by the tools that you're creating? Um, And I just think that's a very, very important core thing that we need to just keep in mind all the time. So I was very grateful that he framed it that way. Um, Thank you. I don't have a response because I didn't get to see it, but I've heard that I will be like very moved by it. But I, uh, from what I've heard of it and what I think about what he's trying to say, I think it's a really valuable conversation to continue to have, especially as like an ed tech founder who is critical and skeptical of the space as well. Um, and it's always good to see a like a person of color who is in the space and, and has success and able to kind of have a platform to be able to put that out there and make sure that that's something that um, we're, we're really thoughtful about. Um, and actually, Michelle, a question for you. So a lot of teachers listening, they teach engineering to kids yeah. and, and teens. And I know that your product isn't necessarily for engineering education, mm-hmm. but you're doing engineering, making yeah. your product, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm wondering if you could give some practical tips uh, for these teachers. What are some ways that they can um, teach the design process while still designing products that are equitable and accessible for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, more than anything, I think, especially if the teachers themselves and the students themselves are leading these things, it's it's really thoughtful to be um, to be thinking about the classrooms that aren't exactly like your own, right? And how best to serve uh, other students, and also to just like scale those things at a bigger level to be more equitable. I think. Um, I think. Another thing to to give you more context, it's like building that community and expanding it to include people who aren't like technical, right? If you have that experience and you have that mindset, I think it's so interesting um, to find out that, you know, like people who I think identify as non-technical like I do, right, feel really um, 
intimidated by or as though they don't feel like they can even have a conversation or feel included in the process of building something or thinking really technically. And I think anybody who has access to those tools or is engaging in that kind of context, it's like incredible what building community can do. So um, one thing that I really want to shout out is that, you know, like a literator came out of a startup weekend edu. And Startup Weekend is uh, for EDU is really, really an amazing space in which non-technical folks who are coming from different like backgrounds can also connect with people who have technical skill sets. And with the intention around building things and making products or building, you know, education solutions, with that mindset that we are empathetic and that we have humility and that um, our intentions are are there for the right reasons. And so that model of coming together or finding ways in which you can build community like do that as often as you can you know don't talk and and, and silo yourselves just because we're the ones who are doing the engineering and like we can build off of each other's ideas i think it's so important if we're talking about inclusion to like at bare bones minimum be inclusive in the conversations that we're having and who we're meeting yeah in terms of in terms of teachers who you know, tips for teachers who really want to build that sort of culture within their classroom, I would say things that I've seen work really well is, um, especially with design thinking, it lays over so easily with just the um, the uh, scientific process. Like just, you know, you have a hypothesis and then you test it and then you, you do a lot of observation and all that kinds of stuff. Um, and I think that it's almost as if you're going you're going through that process, but in a non very technical scientific sort of way. Um, and then also in whatever content area you are, uh, because now like the world can get so technical, it is okay to model for your students what it's like to not come from a technical background, but try and figure it out, you know, and just be very open with them about it. And in a lot of ways, that's what I did when I was working with my ELLs about like, oh, how do I, you know, like, how, like, I, let me actually just try and figure this out. And I would just be very open about the fact that like, hey, I just like read about this yesterday and I want to try it out. And it was like, good to just those little things just instill a culture of like it's okay if I don't have this background and I can just hop into it and try and figure it out so saying those little things of like I'm new to this too or I you know I'm also just working on it and I just read about this last night and like maybe we'll try it in a week you know like Mm -hmm. or come to me like maybe you can read about it and tell me what you find out like just those teeny things really help as well add one more thing because you kind of mentioned design thinking when you asked the question I actually know some, somebody who's like a really great advocate for equity but is also a huge leader at the Stanford D school um, and bringing that perspective and having conversations with him I see that like design thinking and the, the processes of it are really just about building agency and and expanding expanding this mindset that means that you can solve your own problems, right? But I think framing it as in taking it out of the institution where like Stanford D School is where design thinking happens and nowhere else is like what is flawed and problematic. And I think the reality is, you know, like engineers especially are are approaching these problems because they know they can build solutions. And what, like you said, if, if we're including other people and saying like you have the agency and the ability to also tackle the same things that you're seeing, um, maybe you can't code it yourself, but you can meet somebody who can. I think that's really important to understand. Um, but yeah, at the core of it, I really think that it's about facilitating this mindset of like agency and proactiveness. Yeah. And I guess one final question, if you got time for it, yeah. is something that I've noticed now that I've been here at EDU for a couple of days, there seems to be a big parallel in my observation between the lives of teachers, especially first year teachers, and the lives of ed tech entrepreneurs. 
is that an accurate observation? I know you've worked with a lot of startups, and and you're starting your. Is, is this true or is it not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, to answer your question, is is first year of teaching like doing a startup? Um, Teaching is way harder. There is no, Whoa. there is no job more difficult, yes. more trying, more, more emotionally draining, more physically draining than being in the classroom. Um, and and I actually do an entire talk on this, which is like the misconceptions and the disparities between educators and ed tech founders. And I think one of the things that like I like to joke about is like when you're an ed tech founder, you can use the bathroom whenever you want. Um, when you're an ed tech founder, you can make Spotify playlists. Let me tell you, when you're a teacher, you at every single moment are attentive to bodies in front of you who need something from you constantly or are engaging with you constantly. And and I think you are invested in that being a healthy and happy relationship. Whereas when you're a startup founder, like a lot of things are your own prerogative and your own your own things and your own time. And I, I can tell you, like I sleep a lot more. I walk a lot more. I eat more <laughs> healthy foods. I make better decisions on a daily basis. I'm a lot like more well-adjusted. I'm not saying people should leave the classroom to go be a startup founder. It's <laughs> it's still a hustle, and I still don't like. It's not good sleep, <laughs> but I will say it's it's nothing compared to teaching. And that part of the reason that I think that startup life feels easy is because I went through oh. the classroom. Um, I'm a lot less... I will say another thing, too. I was thinking about this this morning. I find people all the time who are like, oh, you're a teacher, you're, but, like, and now you're a startup founder, but you're, like, really good at, like, presenting or, like, you're really good at public speaking. And I'm like, yeah, it was my job every single day <laughs> to talk to people who are way harder to get their attention from, like, like seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 17-year-olds who, like, don't care about what I'm talking about. Like, I had to be engaging for them. So, of course, I can, like, come in and, like, work this room, right? Um, so, yeah, teaching definitely makes it easier to be a startup founder, but it's not easier than being a startup founder. Um, I 100% agree with that. One of the things that I say all the time is people are, um, you know, they ask like, how do you, how do you do it? Right. Like, and I, it's not an ed tech startup. It's a startup, startup incubator, which is great. But, um, (laughs) you know, people are like, how do you work for this? How do you, how do you do the startup life? Like, isn't it so stressful? Is it whatever? And I always say the same thing, which is I'm like, well, it's easier than teaching, you know, like, like I've done something harder and that is teaching. And then people really get shocked at that. Um, I also, one of the things that I also say all the time, especially because so much of my job is to find that teacher that wants to build that solution. And I truly, truly believe this, especially for teachers who work in under-resourced schools, they are the most entrepreneurial, innovative people that I know, right? Like they go into classrooms every single day and create learning and safety and love out of nothing, out of no resources, out of against the odds, right? Like they are innovators. They create something from nothing every single day. And I think that we as a society often forget that. And sometimes I honestly think in going with our talk that we as an entrepreneurial community sometimes forget that, you know? And it's easy to find teachers and transfer that because they know. And the other thing is, as an entrepreneur, oftentimes, like, you know, the stress that you traffic in is, you know, you the stress that you sort of traffic in is, like, you know, money, right? Like, I mean, you t- think about raising money, your, your runway, your bottom line, like, all of these sorts of things. Um, the reason why I find that just less stressful <laughs> is because as a teacher, like, my bottom line was, yep. like, 
love and safety, right? Like it's always like, is there enough emotion here? Is there enough safety here for my students? Is there enough love here for my students? Am I showing enough kindness? Are they showing enough kindness to each other, right? Like, is there enough human interaction? And just those things are just worth more. I mean, you know, like the stuff that we do has a price. The stuff that teachers do just doesn't, so. Yeah, I I think that what Aditya said about, you know, teachers being the most innovative every single day and and, and making so much out of nothing. I think it was really beautiful, but I think one thing that they don't know is that they can see themselves outside of that space as also like leaders in innovation, right? Like outside of the classroom. Um, And I think not necessarily to say like by leaving the classroom, but by, you know, really what we were saying before, like building these meaningful partnerships with with other people. Um, I think that's at the core of all of the things that we talked about today. I know that it's empathy, but I really think that empathy is built out of community and that that's what needs to happen the most. To learn more about any of the groups or resources mentioned in this episode, just check out the show notes on your podcast player. You can also find links to the episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, or other platforms at the podcast website, www.k12engineering.net. This show is now on the Auto Radio app, so if you use that app to check your news on your commute, remember to favorite the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. Please subscribe to the show no matter what player you're using so you don't miss an episode. And please write me reviews or send me feedback about what you like or don't like. Thanks for listening and join me again next time. Our closing music is from Late for School by BleepTor under a Creative Commons Attribution License. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs, and you can support Pios Labs at www.patreon.com slash pioslabs. Hey, it's Pius. Just wanted to remind you that I have a new book out for engineering educators, professional engineers, and engineering students, and it's called Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. And uh, you might have heard a bit of it on the show before, but basically it's just a guide about how you can use these fun little games and activities to jumpstart your thinking or your skills related to engineering design. Um, so if you want to get that book, you can find it in print on Amazon, or you can get an ebook on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Kobo and a whole bunch of other places. If you want to get 20% off, Well, go to smashwords.com, look for the book title, Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, or search for my name, Pius Wong. And when you check out the ebook, just use the promo code EH22M. That promo code again is EH22M from smashwords.com, and that'll give you 20% off. That code should be good through the summertime, and it's just my way of letting you podcast listeners get a little bit of a, a break here. So, Thank you for your support and uh, check it out.